spacecraft did not crash in Roswell, New Mexico in 1947. You know flat earthers, I guarantee it. But you don't know who they are because they're afraid of talking about it. This is not a test. This is your emergency broadcast system. Hello and welcome to the 191st annual Sublimoception Podcast, your weekly dose of conspiracy theory. Bullshit, my name is Cody. I'm my pal Phil. How are you? Doing good, buddy. How about yourself? Not doing too bad. We, uh, I remember I alluded to the beautiful snowstorm um, that was <laughs> headed in. I think we topped at 18 or 20 inches, somewhere in there. Ugh, yeah. Jesus. That's fuck hell on earth, dude. I couldn't take that. Yeah, it's. I'm hoping it's done. It was almost 40 degrees today, which... You know, feels like you're on a fucking beach somewhere um, after enduring the winter we had. So I'm hoping it's done. Yeah, I've actually heard from a co-worker, co-worker today that we're having an early bloom this year because of all the rain that we've gotten. And that's, I'm guessing, explaining why I can hear my voice inside, you know, the headphones, why I sound like I'm starting to get sick. So a lot allergies. of those, uh, a lot of those desert bushes are starting to bloom. Yeah. Yeah. That'll do it. I will probably experience that once, you know, once the snow melts and like, you can actually see some sort of flora or <laughs> flora, I should say even, um, then I know the allergies will kick up in the air like they always do. Oh yeah. And that fucking once that, well, the worst for me was always the corn. When the yeah. corn would start yep. shedding that fucking yellow shit, it would paint everything in yellow. Yeah, that's the worst for me. Yeah, I home. don't I don't know why that is. It's it's funny you bring that up because I can still remember like usually late summer when I go to my parents' house, obviously they're surrounded with corn usually, and mm-hmm. I'd come home and it's just like this weird headache. Your sinuses would be fucking up. It's just I don't, I don't know. Maybe it's because we've been away from corn for, for so long. I, I don't know. I don't remember experiencing it when I was little, or maybe I didn't notice. Civilization has made you soft. Yeah. I'm a city boy now. <laughs> yeah, city boy. <laughs> well, I had an interesting story. Not really interesting, but uh, so here's what happened. I was pulling out of a gas station parking lot uh, going right, you know, n- a lot of cars come in kind of a busier street. There was a, a nice older man in a like a flatbed pickup truck who actually stopped and let me in. So I gave him a little wave. You know, I looked for, you know, pedestrians on the sidewalk and everything. No one was coming. So I started to go all of a sudden coming the wrong way on the bike lane. This um, we'll call him chronically dehomed. <laughs> this uh, gentleman on a bike, he he didn't have any brakes on the bike, of course, so he had to stop by, you know, pounding his feet into the ground and then standing up, you know. Uh, I hit the brake. Luckily, I saw him out of the corner as I was turning. He was completely in my blind spot when I looked. But when I started to turn, I saw him, so I slammed on my brakes. We didn't hit each other. You know, it's all fine. He starts, like, walking his bike up onto the sidewalk to get around me. 
and he's sitting there cursing. I can barely understand him. He's got the meth voice and everything. But and all of a sudden, he like comes back over to the side of my car and slams his fist on the roof of my car. I don't. Seriously? I don't know. It was one of those deals where it was his fault. The problem is, you know, the drugs and everything just get into their heads. So, <laughs> so then you got out and fought him like Regis Philbin. No, I took the fuck off, dude. People have guns here. You, <laughs> you leave. You what, get the fuck you, out. You need to start asking yourself, what would Regis do? That's true. I know. Now, I just don't understand anyone on a like. Okay, so there's a lot of good people on bikes you know you can tell they're were they're wearing helmets you know they're kind of wearing like they have a nice bike it doesn't look like they've ever stolen a bike in their life like you know this pe this dude and his people basically ride bikes everywhere never bought a bike a day in their life you know what i mean like yeah. never have purchased a bike ever in their life but i don't understand why if they get pissed at people they think it's just perfectly fine just to you know abuse someone else's property you know what I mean? It's not like like I stopped. It's not like I just ran him over. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I don't know. He sounds like he might might have had a few uh, screws loose upstairs. Probably. I mean, if you see someone in this city riding around on a bicycle without a helmet on, they are probably didn't have a good start. Uh, pretty much, I guess. I don't know. They probably already have had a few accidents and possibly <laughs> some <laughs> traumatic brain injury. Let's just call him uh, a lifelong setback. Yeah. Let's just say that. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of uh, near-death experiences, <laughs> are you ready for this week's episode? Yeah, let's hit it. All right. On this week's episode of Sub-D, we will be discussing a topic which can be a hot-button issue for a lot of people around the world, euthanasia. Now, while about... Uh, I, I think it's about seven or eight states now um, around the United States have adopted the quote-unquote die-with-dignity laws. Medically-assisted euthanasia is widely illegal, and unless it's used on uh, death row inmates, of course. Now, yeah. when I was younger, I had always heard the name Jack Kevorkian swirling around, a man whose name had become synonymous with euthanasia, and all the alleged stories about him, I had always kind of wondered, what is the real story of Jack Kevorkian, and what did he actually do? Was he a man with nefarious intent? What? Why was he doing this? Did he? Was he doing it to help people? That's kind of what we want to do today. We want to deliver the full life story of Jack Kevorkian and what he had has done, I guess, for the euthanasia world and maybe the advancement of such practices in the United States. Now, um, we were kind of talking off the air. You had mentioned Canada. Now, this is, yes. this is, it's funny you mention that because Canada and this new law they're proposing is, you know, we're, this is common in the U.S. Someone hears a law or something and then they immediately twist it to um, make it sound a lot worse than it is, which is what I've been seeing with Canada. Basically, people yeah. are spouting that if what, the second you turn 18, if you're depressed, they you can just go get killed by somebody. Not true at yes. all, by the way. So basically, people, it's like we were talking about the past couple of weeks. People read the headlines and then make up their own article is what a lot of people do. For clicks, and, too. Well, yeah, and then the people who make the content 
are I'm I was thinking more people you might meet, you know, out in the world. But yeah, for the content creators, they are kind of, you know, elevating this to make it seem like it's worse than it really is. Just like um it was during the Obama years, the the death panels was the big one. They were going to they were going to decide like oh this person's not worth keeping alive anymore, so they're going to kill him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, crazy. None of that's true at all, by the way. Um, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> nope. I don't know if people are aware, but if you have terminal illnesses and you don't have money for treatment, um, you know, in the United States, you might probably just die from it. It's uh, kind of the sad reality. But uh, I just yeah, Canada, I guess, is is one of the more progressive states with euthanasia i don't know their exact laws but i think if you know you're at that part of your life and you yep. have some terminal you can a doctor can um can put you i i don't want to say put you down i know <laughs> that sounds bad can uh, assist you with dying i guess is the better <laughs> term <laughs> put you down is kind of what i mean yeah you I, know it's it's one of those deals where I think in a lot of the situations, you kind of, the idea behind it is you get to be the one who presses the button. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, that's kind of, I mean, in the, how this would be best is you get to be the one who like administer, uh, all of the needles are set up by, you know, doctors and nurses and everything. Everything's clean and sterilized, but you're the one who actually decides like, okay, now's the time. Click the button. Um, I don't you know, know if it really surrounded by family. I don't know if it really if it really matters if it's sanitary at that point if you're just gonna die. But um, there's oh well there's like even for death row inmates when they <laughs> when they put the needle in for the you know the lethal dosage of all the cocktails they have to they have to sanitize your arm first. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I maybe there's like some post mortem diseases or something you have to worry about, but uh fucking regulations goddamn obama <laughs> Got um, us again here's the thing though like i i want to know your opinion i'll be straight out i am i'd be 100 percent for euthanasia obviously not just like you go to the doctor and be like hey i think i'm just gonna die today obviously there has to be um a lot of circumstances you know instead of maybe yeah. if, if you're like i don't want to end up you know, permanently in a coma, sitting to die in a hospice care. Maybe I just want to do it now and like save my my family all the trouble of paying for the hospice care and all of that. Um, I'm totally for that. Obviously, like I said, in the United States, that is highly illegal. Um, so how, how do you feel? In my opinion, kind of the same thing. It has to be a foregone conclusion that you are going to die there's it's not one of those situations where you know you have cancer and it's bad but you could still maybe turn it around it have to be the situation where like there is no coming back from this and it's a you know it's a very it's very it's tough because you, then you have to ask yourself too um if you are in a coma can someone else make that decision for you like, I don't think that someone else could make that decision for you. It would have to be you doing it. And just like I said, you'd be the one pushing the button. Well, I mean, when you're in a coma there, obviously there's the cliche 
phrase, pull the plug, which your family can obviously um, decide for you if you're never going to make a recovery from it. Oh, if you're if you're brain dead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, A lot of times the weird thing, a lot of times pulling the plug isn't really pulling the plug. It's taking out the feeding tube and letting you starve to death. That's the weird thing. Uh, I thought it was the oxygen tube. Sometimes it's the feeding tubes, too. Okay. Yeah. There was that really famous case uh, like a decade ago where the family was trying to allow or it was the husband trying to take her off life support and his wife and the family trying to keep her alive instead of there being like a, a, you know, an oxygen tube and something keeping her heart going. It was a feeding tube that they took out and decided just to let her starve to death. That was the weird one. Yeah. I feel like in that circumstance, why wouldn't it be much easier for the person to get, I mean, we're going to talk a lot about, um, you know, what Jack did to kill the patients and everything, uh, in his method method, it's three shots and they're dead within three minutes, you know, it wouldn't that be a yeah. more humane thing to do to that woman versus waiting, I'm assuming, at least a week for her to die? Yeah, I mean, that's it's much more humane. Uh, that's pretty much a lethal injection. It, what they yeah. use for the capital punishment, isn't it? Yeah, this is um, yeah. it's funny because obviously, like I said, we're going to talk about it. But yeah, basically, that is what he sets up for the people to administer lethal injection for themselves yes same same like kind of drugs but uh but anyway yeah. we'll 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 get deep into it. there's plenty to discuss on here so um yeah anyway now Murad jacob kervakian was born in pontiac michigan on may 26 1928 to two armenian immigrants his father was named Levon and had fled Ottoman Armenia in 1912, and his mother, Satinig, had fled during the Armenian Genocide of 1915. Now, they estimate that 800,000 to 1.2 million Armenians were sent to the Syrian desert on a quote-unquote death march. Uh, They were deprived of food and water and beaten, raped, or just straight-up killed survivors would be put into concentration camps. I think these are different concentration camps than what we think of with like, um, you know, the Nazi Germany. I think these were like, they're pretty much the same. Yeah, I suppose they're kind of the same there. It's all, yeah, it's all the same. Okay. I don't, I don't know the differing levels of concentration camps. I just assumed they probably aren't gas chambering people, but they're probably, no, it's probably, so it, it probably hasn't gotten to an assembly line level that the nazis were with killing people but it was definitely atrocities and the you know the the level of brutality and everything like that uh, so the 19 teens uh, armenian genocide is kind of like the forgotten holocaust of the 20th century so not a lot of people know about i it. was very curious if you knew about this yes yeah i know i know some things about it just from what i've learned in classes uh, like throughout college, but yeah, it was, it was very bad. Um, kind of the same fucking, you know, a lot of eugenics type stuff played into it uh, and, uh, just trying to get, you know, 
unwanted people off of their land by the power in that country. Yeah. So in the Ottoman Empire. It uh yeah, it sounds fucking horrible. Um there there's more people who died, but these were like the main lump of them here uh that were in, murdered in the uh Armenian genocide. Now, what's ironic enough is Levon and Satnig, um, they actually came to America at different times, but in Michigan, there must have been a large Armenian community, and they kind of, I don't know if they, like, hooked them up together. (laughs) I think that's kind of how it went there. Like, they maybe were like, hey, you should marry her, yada, yada, yada. Um, But they they would have their children... Murad, Margaret, and Flora. If you haven't figured out, Murad Jacob is Jack Kevorkian. I, I don't know why he didn't want to go with Murad. It's kind of a sweet name. Murad Kevorkian. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I would <laughs> maybe Americanize it a little bit. Well, he did it with Jack, I suppose. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's it's I I don't I can't say this for certain. Um, but I think the his mother's stories of saving or surviving the Armenian genocide, I think actually might have piqued his kind of interest in the more macabre side of mm. humanity. I that's kind of what I've gotten out of it. I can't say well, for certain. I haven't obviously you've studied him up a lot more. I've never studied him, but I can imagine that if he was really into like death and the macabre maybe growing up in a community like that where everyone i mean it sounds like he grew up in a pretty big armenian community in pontiac michigan um maybe there was a shit ton of stories that he had heard from people escaping armenia I met- and a lot of a lot of the horrible shit that not only his parents, but his neighbors, too, had seen. Right. So. I don't know. You know, America kind of does this where they, they'll they have immigrants from, you know, whatever country, and then they, they kind of all situate in one community. Like, in yeah. uh, clearly, there must be a very large, I'm sure there's still a very large Armenian community in Michigan, I would assume. But uh, Oh, yeah. Oh, well, 100 years later, um, it's after, what is it? I think three generations once. So once you get to the point where you don't know your relatives from the old country, then you're pretty much just pure, like straight up American right. after that. Right. So people who are fifth generation, like I think I'm like fifth generation, like in my mind, I'm not German or Czech or Irish at all. I'm just, you know, an American from Iowa, but people coming to Iowa from Germany or Czechoslovakia in the, what was it when they came like the late 1800s, early 1900s, they were considered, you know, for the first one or two generations, like Czech, like my grandpa, like still kind of Czech, you know what I mean? Even though he, you know, spoke English fluently, obviously, because he was first generation, just, you know, like, even though he was completely an American, you're still kind of, you know, attached to the old country through the ancestors that you grew up with or, or knew. Right, so. right, exactly. Now, this is an interesting story. Apparently, when Jack was very young, um, his parents would take them to an Orthodox church every single week. Not really weird for the time period, but apparently Jack, even at a young age, started to question the existence of God. 
According to some sources, it was at the age of 12, he just completely stopped going to church. And one of his big questions was, with the Armenian Genocide, it made him question why an all-powerful being such as God, which they clearly were worshiping in the church, couldn't have used his grand power to stop all the brutal, unnecessary murders of his people, which... Kind of a good question. Um, I don't, yeah. you know, uh, <laughs> it's that it's the uh, question that nobody seems to have the answer for. But um, yeah. Oh I, well, they try. They try to answer it. You're but, right. Yeah. Normally, it it comes out sounding a little pompous, and uh, <laughs> you might as well have said nothing. <laughs> it's just a test of faith. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, it's. I, I'm I'm kind of a little shocked. I mean, maybe you can relate with Jack here, where you're just like, "Hey, I'm not going to church anymore." Um, when my grandma's alive, it seemed like a little bit more of an uphill battle. Yeah, there was. So, so w- what age did he stop going to church? Twelve. Twelve. I would say so. I still had to go to CCD and the fucking confirmation classes when I was confirmed at in tenth grade. 16 years old, that's when I was done. Like I was, you know, I mean, unless there's a funeral or a wedding or something like that for a reason to go to a church. Yeah. Like I never like basically against my will, I never went again. So. Right. Right. Yeah. It's uh, I forgot about that. You know, it's CCD. I don't even think we talked about God at all. That's what I remember. It was just like, people yeah, it was fucking around the whole time. Yeah, having some fucking person who didn't want to be there teaching yeah. us about the Bible and shit. Yeah, yeah. that's all. That's what I remember. <laughs> now, as for the school life with Jack here, um, Jack was known for being an extremely intelligent young man. Um, some of his favorite things and even things he will do later in life is to read and draw. Those were kind of his main things in school. Um, interesting aspect and this is something I've heard a lot from maybe kids who are at an intelligence level that's higher than their peers. They tend to get bored really easy when they're in school and when they're not being stimulated. So apparently because of this, <laughs> Jack used to throw spitballs at his sixth grade teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and now instead of him getting in trouble, they actually just went ahead and moved him a grade up. To try to, which is shocking for the time period that they could figure that out, to be honest with you. That they didn't just beat the fuck out of him? Yeah. yeah it is a little shocking. I mean, maybe they <laughs> did beat him first, and then eventually they they gave up, but, you know, he uh, he's a smart dude. <laughs> it reminds me of Problem Child, when uh, the kid in that one, the main character, I think his name was Buster or something like that, when he showed up to school in maybe the th- second or third movie, and the principal basically remembered him from the other movie and just said, you know what? You're so intelligent. You're going to the sixth grade. He moved him from like the second to the sixth grade just to get him out of there quicker. Ah, <laughs> uh, dude, maybe that is that kid's based off Jack of working because you could see that guy, you know, maybe euthanizing people as an adult. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> he could be president of the United States. President of the United States, he's going to be in jail before high school. <laughs> I just remember the end of that movie where 
his dad gets shot and he has a like really old prune in his pocket that saves his life. Do you remember oh, that? Yeah. <laughs> Fucking weird movie. <laughs> yeah, they were good for their time, but now in high school, uh, Jack would belong to the chemistry physics club and would graduate at the age of 17 in 1945, earning all the honors for being a great student. Apparently, while he was in school, he taught himself to speak several different languages, which included German, Russian, Greek, and Japanese. I think there was a few others, but those were like the main big ones. So he's a very intelligent man or a young adult here. And lucky, too. He turned 17 in 1945. That's perfect. He just slid right underneath that shit. (laughs) Uh, Don't let me... uh... He does he does end up serving in, in a war. I will just okay. let you know that now. So maybe he's not quite as lucky, but um but yeah, he avoided WW2. Yeah. That that's a good one to avoid. That was a kind of a meat grinder. I want to ask so. you something here. So before we get any further, okay, Jack in high school, he he had a job and he's take one wild guess what he wanted to be when he grew up from what he was doing in high school, before he went to school, he said he didn't even want to go to college or anything. Ooh, what job did he have in Pontiac, Michigan? I'm guessing it's something with the auto industry, maybe engineer. He does go to college for that, which we'll, we'll discuss now. He wanted to, he was the high school baseball announcer, and he oh. wanted to be a professional baseball announcer guy. Yeah, maybe his hero was Ronald Reagan. <laughs> Does he even know he how to swing a bat? He an- no, no, this was for football. He oh. was uh, Iowa Hawkeyes football announcer. Oh, okay. in his younger years. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's... No, I didn't. Uh, I didn't know that. That's yeah. That's kind of an odd, an odd dream to well, have. I mean, but if you think about what Jack does later in life, and then envision him as. You know, he's calling a game for the fucking, I don't know, uh, Detroit Tigers. You know, I think that's their baseball team. Maybe it's something else. Yeah, I think it's the Detroit, it's Detroit Tigers. Tigers. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, I thought that was kind of interesting. I guess everyone has a dream when they're younger. <laughs> Not- <laughs> and then those dreams get crushed and you end up uh, getting your, you know, your doctorate and then euthanizing terminally ill people. That's right. a little... Uh, I wonder if while he was ever, you know, injecting anyone with the serum, if he ever thought like, oh, man, I should be out at the game right now. Just, <laughs> you know, just in his head, kind of like calling the plays and shit. He he might have been. I don't know. <laughs> Hopefully he wasn't doing a play by play of the euthanasia. That's just what I hope. But um, anyway, mm-hmm. so like I said, in an interview I watched, he said he didn't even want to go to college. But he was out of school. He didn't know what to do. So he's like, he's just going to go ahead and enroll at the University of Michigan. And he said he spent one semester. He initially went for engineering. He decided he did not like engineering. It was too boring. And he switched his interest over to the medical side of the school and would attend whatever medical department the University of Michigan offered. I don't really know what it's called. Uh, He would go on to graduate in 1952 earning a degree in clinical pathology, Jack Kevorkian, after graduating college, would end up doing a 15-month tour in the Korean War. Um, 
I couldn't find like what his job was, what he did there. I don't know. He doesn't talk about it. Nobody seems to know. Um, but again, this could have been another, you know, little stepping stone into kind of his macabre interest. Well, definitely, you know, a, a fucking war like that would, you know, put you around death quite a bit. I imagine it's just like the show MASH. So, you know, every once in a while, there's somebody who dies and you have a crying fit. But most of the time, you're just kind of distilling whiskey and, you know, hanging out, trying to bang the nurse. Didn't the correct me if I'm wrong, but the Korean War had a lot of like, is it wasn't there stories of like people collecting ears of uh, the people they killed and shit? Vietnam. That was from <laughs> that was from Universal Soldier. But <laughs> I'm pretty there sure was, they did that. There was stories. There was stories. Yeah, of people going crazy in that war. Okay. Yeah. I. Yeah. The, more of the Korean, more of the Vietnamese War than the Korean War, though. So if he if he graduated with a doctorate here, um, would he he probably have been a medic there, right? Yes. Yeah, I imagine he. So the military, I don't know if they had this program back then, but the military has programs where you can kind of get your get money towards your degree or get credit for all of the you know the time served in the military for doctors and people who people who go into the medical field they can basically get their college paid for if they do like enough of it so but i don't know about back then i'm just thinking about like now gotcha okay Uh, there's a few a lot of there's a few doctors i work with um and they were in the military and then went to school or whatever yes like you said yeah they're basically every single dentist or dental hygienist or all those people who are in the military. It's not like they just kind of showed up to basic or like, Oh, I guess I'll be a dental hygienist. You know, they, they went to the military for that. They, they kind of have one of those little like agreement things. Maybe that explains why dental hygienists are so mean. Yeah. I've had some of the, uh, I I thought a fucking dental hygienist was going to stab me one time with the pokey thing. I could see, she was pissed. I could see most of them. Like when they're in the service, they're in like the torture department. Um, (laughs) and (laughs) master, they, when you apply for a dental hygienist school, they look to see if you've master waterboarding a person and then they'll, they'll accept you to the school. Putting battery cables on someone's testicles. Yep. Yep. Yeah. (laughs) Now, after ja- after the war, Jack returned to America. Uh, he would do his medical residency at the University of Michigan. As I alluded to, he started to have a profound interest in in death and the macabre at this point. Apparently, he would regularly visit terminally ill patients and eventually would try to photograph their eyes at the exact moment of their death. Uh, he claims that he did this as a way to develop. So basically a doctor could tell that someone was dead. And at that point, there's no time to waste, you know, resuscitating them or something. Sometime in 1958, Jack would write a paper and propose it to the American association for the advancement of science that he had some interesting ideas in said letter. Jack detailed how he believed that death row inmates could be a benefit to humanity if they were subjected to, quote, 
pain-free medical experiments that would ultimately lead to their deaths. Additionally, once the prisoner was dead, he thought harvesting their organs and using them to save people was a great idea. And because of these two things, we think of him as Dr. Death because of the euthanasia. But actually, people he worked with were calling him Dr. Death back in the 1950s. Yeah, kind of... uh... That's, I mean, I don't think a person on death row can actually give their, like, donate their organs. Yeah, I, and I, I, I've I never think heard it's of it. More, I think it's more of a, you don't, like, imagine if you got a heart, you know, and it came from the donor pool, but it turns out that heart came from a serial killer, you know, or someone who killed his family. That'd be a little weird for people, maybe. Also, we, the chemicals that they use basically nuke your body. So very true. I didn't even think about that. It uh, one of them like turns your blood to concrete, basically, right? Well, there's oh, it's the one that the first one knocks you out. The second or third one like completely stops your heart. Oh no, the first one takes the pain out, like numbs you. The second one knocks you out, and the third one, um, like stops your heart from beating basically like collapses your heart or something like that i'm not exactly sure how it goes but i know sometimes they don't put them in the right order and it can <laughs> it can uh, hurt them a little yeah, bit be- like they'll fall asleep but the pain won't go away yeah uh it'll be excruciating pain for them yes but um so this eye photography photography thing is going to come up again but uh yeah i don't he, I mean, obviously he's going to have some more uh, macabre stuff we're going to be talking about here before he gets to, you know, what he's known for. But yeah, people in the 50s hearing these things had to just think this guy was fucking insane. Oh, oh, I'm I, I'm sure. Yeah, it is. It's kind of weird because there is the eye dilation that doctors will use before, like on all the TV shows, they'll check for the dilation of pupils to see if someone is brain dead or not yeah um, i wonder if that's what he was looking for i don't know uh I, I i wish i could tell you i don't i don't know maybe he started it and then people kind of you know advanced it from there but he doesn't get any credit for it <laughs> sorry jack we can't have dr death's name on the uh medical paperwork <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> for the implementation of this. So we're just going to put you on the back page. There you go. You're in the considerations there in the he, footnote. He like watching all his interviews. He's a, he, to me, the, the vibes I get off of him is he's someone who's like so smart, but he's like slightly awkward too, you know? Yeah. Oh, definitely. It. I remember thinking that when I was a kid watching him, just how kind of weird he was during those interviews. Yeah, it's one of the interviews I watched, the guy asked him if he was a ghoul and he just like started <laughs> grinning and I'm like, it's <laughs> not, yeah, not putting yourself over that well. I mean, it was kind of funny. I laughed too, but um, <laughs> maybe I'm sure he's been called a ghoul hundreds of fucking times in his life. Oh, I'm sure he's been called much worse to his face that morning. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Walking in for the interview. Anyway, continuing on here. So Jack's wild ideas apparently was met with the ire of the University of Michigan's pathology department's chairman. The chairman would just go ahead and tell Jack 
he's got to either quit with his macabre studies or he has to just leave the school altogether. Well, Jack did in fact leave and he went to work at Pontiac General Hospital. Now, what is really interesting is that at, that at this point, Jack started experimenting with taking blood from recently deceased people and injecting it into the living, a sort of pseudo blood transfusion experiment. Now, Jack also had colleagues who were interested in this particular type of blood transfusion along with him, and they were injecting themselves with the cadaver blood, and he was as well. Now, one of the reasons Jack claims that he did this is he was remembering back to his time in the war. Jack believed that it would be possible for a living soldier who is maybe wounded or something to take blood from a dead soldier in order to kind of, you know, sustain himself or give him more time to get whatever medical attention. Uh, he would publish an article in the 1964 issue of Military Medicine. He would also pitch the idea to military officials at the Pentagon, but was denied a federal grant. Jack decided yeah. he would never again, quote, waste time and effort in futile, futile appears appeals for the support of the government agencies. So he basically thought he's not going to waste his time, I guess, trying to get funding for the things he's studying because they won't take him serious. Yeah, they're, his ideas, even if they're great ideas, they're too far out there. They come from a weird place. That's the problem with his ideas. Um, also, a lot of soldiers aren't going to be happy to find out that they were given you know, cadaver blood. I wonder exactly how long those bodies had been deceased before the blood was taken out and if it was cleaned or not, like what the situation was. He, I mean, cause it's not, it's not like it, it wasn't just one for one. It's not, not like they just took a syringe, pulled some blood out and then stuck it in themselves. Yeah. You know, it would have to be pretty recent before the blood can, you know, get hard from rigor mortis clots. It starts to clot up. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I, you kind of wonder if, do you think the military would do this or teach them that? Like if they're in a combat scenario, one guy's hurt and another guy's dead and he's losing a lot of blood to like do a blood transfusion or is it just your shit out of luck? I mean, maybe during like the civil war or something <laughs> like that, maybe there's so much regulation for it now. There's so much the efficacy of doing something like that. I mean, the blood that gets used even in even in the most like remote military medical fucking fobs, basically, is going to be packaged blood, you know, refined, juggled around, um, you know, clean. It's going to yeah. be clean blood. They're not going, it's not even going to be a situation unless you are on the battlefield and someone's dying out. They're not going to do the old style where they stick one tube in one guy's arm and another tube in the dying guy's arm to give him blood. I mean, that's a, that's a last resort thing. And it's something that they probably wouldn't even do these days. Yeah. I imagine. Yeah. That's a good, that's actually a good point, but yeah, I don't, and that's from the living to the living. True. It seems like Jack is just trying to, I don't know, find you find uses for dead people. I guess that's the best way I can describe what he's it's, trying. 
it seems like he's trying to find funding for his weird hobbies. That's kind of what it feels like to me. Yeah. Yeah. He, 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 he would have done this whether he got funding or not. It kind of sounds like, but he, you know, monetize it basically <laughs> in get the military, get the military to fund it. The so, US government. So my, my interpretation of him after all of this and all the interviews and stuff is I do think his heart is in the right place. He just mm-hmm. might not be going about it the best way. Well, imagine if his, like, the the experiments he did to see, like, look into dead people's photograph a person just as they're dying. Imagine if he would have had a breakthrough with that. We would know Jack Kevorkian for something completely different now than we actually know him, you know. Yeah. What he's known for now is yeah. completely different than that. So if that would have all worked out, you'd be talking about, you know, he'd be a footnote in medical history. It's not, you know, there's been much bigger people you know pastor and all of them uh there's been a lot bigger you know discoveries and whatnot but he'd be known in the medical community for something completely different than he's known for now right yeah i yeah i don't know it's uh you want to hear a little bit more about his eyeball photography yeah let's do it all right so basically up until the 1980s Jack Kevorkian just continued to work his regular hospital jobs in Michigan. Uh, He would continue studying his quote-unquote eyeball photographer. He got to the point where he believed by seeing someone's eyeballs, he could tell the difference between when someone had died, when someone was in shock, when someone was just in a coma, or if someone had just fainted. But most viewed this as a completely worthless study. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently at some point during this time period too, I don't even know when he had time to do this, but he made a 90 minute movie about an opera play called Handel's Messiah. And I'm going to read you the quote here about what it is. It's a commentary on Jesus Christ's nativity, passion, resurrection, and ascension beginning with God's promises as spoken by prophets and ending with Christ's glorification in heaven. Now, a man who's like atheist, I don't know Mm. why he's making this movie about a play that basically details Jesus's life. Yeah. All of the, all the popular bits that you're going to learn if you go to a Catholic school during Lent, you're going (laughs) to see, you're going to see though during Christmas, you'll see the first part of this during Lent. You'll see the last uh, three. The latter, the passion, which is him walking around carrying the cross, the resurrection, which is him, you know, getting out of the tomb, and then the ascension, which is going to heaven. Yeah, um, it's a little. I mean, unless it was a satire, uh, yeah, it's a little. That's because that's what I thought it would be when you first started talking about, you know, this Handel's Messiah, and I was reading, I was like, oh, he's just making fun of it. But was he making fun of it? You think, or was well, this? I'm gonna just say this when I read. Like the lengthy Wikipedia about this play, it was made in like I think the 1600s, so I have a mm-hmm. feeling it wasn't satirical back then. Um, no, you'd get your fucking peepee chopped off for yeah. making something like that back then. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I I really don't know if it was satirical or maybe he made it satirical. I don't. It sounds like it's a play that's like hasn't lasted with the ages 
Oh, okay. Um, maybe it's the forerunner for what we think of like the Passion of the Christ is. He's the original Mel Gibson. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now, apparently by 1986, Jack found himself having a very difficult time finding a job. He claimed that he had gotten to the point where he was just living in Michigan in a dump apartment. He was sleeping on a box mattress just on the floor. Uh, Jack would later say, quote, I'm too controversial for most positions. All they have to do is see my publications on cadaver blood and on the (laughs) condemned prison work. That alone settles the issue. Oh, according to some sources... He found himself having a difficult time finding a job. He would just decide he's going to retire early and focus on painting and composing music before he will eventually find himself kind of slipping into what's about to make him quite notorious. So Mm. he, he basically makes it sound like it got to the point where he was strong armed out of the medical field and then. They all knew about his credentials and just would not give him a job. Yeah, he must not have been willing to settle for, you know, like a Doc Holiday situation where you're the only doctor in a small town, that sort of thing. <laughs> I imagine there's a shit ton of places that are looking for a doctor of any yoke, and it doesn't matter. You know, they haven't read any of those weird studies. You know, they don't give a fuck. Yeah, but even can, the... he, can he can he stitch me up after my boar bites my leg? Yes, he's good enough. You got to remember, though, you got to remember, though, too, Phil, the small towns are usually the most religious and any of the macabre shit, they don't want no part of it. That's true. Yeah. He would have a really good place to do his experimentations out of the, uh, you know, medical community's eyes. That's actually a good thing he didn't go that route because he would definitely do some weird shit to uh, (laughs) small town farmers. Right. (laughs) You know, honestly, in another country, he probably would have fit in perfectly. Like anywhere. Oh, in 1941 Europe. Nazi Germany. He would have been. <laughs> he'd have been right there at the top. Yeah, they might have been a bit more macabre than him. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, it's uh, I don't know. Uh, again, we don't even know. It. I don't even know if that part's true necessarily. But because he. As we'll find out, he never gets married. He never has kids. So he's kind of just your prototypical quintessential bachelor, I guess. Yeah, it's amazing he made it all the way into his 50s without just kind of acquiring like furniture and a bed. You know what I mean? Like, I get it that, you know, he's down on his luck, sleeping on his box mattress on the floor, but he never picked up like a you know, bed po- bed stand, the bed posts or anything like that. Like it sounded like he kind of was working half in Michigan and half in California at some point. Um, okay. so I don't know if somewhere in between there, he, something happened to him. I don't know. He has the fucking kingpin situation where he has to bang his old, uh, landlady. Yeah. She ends up taking his shit because <laughs> he owes her rent. I bet that's that's actually what happened to Jack. Yeah, he got his bed stolen by his landlady. <laughs> now, sometime in 1987, you know, I would have been two. Uh, Jack yep. Kevorkian decided to get back into his field of passion and would eventually advertise himself in Detroit newspapers as offering death counseling. OK, that's 
that is where this all starts for death counseling. Mm -hmm. It isn't clear when or where Jack would display his first quote unquote suicide machine. I couldn't find that information. But eventually, a 54 year old English teacher by the name of Janet Adkins would be the very first person to reach out to Jack Kevorkian and apparently was really interested in his suicide machine. Now, she probably wasn't the first person to reach out to him, I should say. She's the first, per first mm. person to desire him to use the suicide machine on her. To go through with it. Yes. I can imagine she's probably tired of just eating beans with breakfast every single day, <laughs> and she's just ready to get out. Wrong type of English, Phil. Oh, she was an English teacher who was 54 years old. Yeah, she wasn't actually English. Okay, that makes <laughs> a little bit more sense. So I'm imagining now, maybe she was just tired of, you know, teaching the same snotty brats how to use the Oxford comma and oh. just ready to end it all. It's I'm, done. I'm uh, tired of this shit. Honestly, I'm fucking tired of the Oxford comma. I don't want to hear about <laughs> it anymore. I don't care. It's so fucking stupid. Shut up about it. God. Anyway, unfortunately, it's a little more tragic for Janet here. Eventually, Janet and her husband would travel to Michigan to personally meet with Jack Kevorkian. Janet had apparently been suffering from advanced Alzheimer's. Uh, Janet said her memory was rapidly fading, and she got to the point where she didn't want to just end up in some sort of a vegetated state. That is what her greatest fear was, which is why she was interested in the suicide machine. So, yeah, go ahead. It's... Oh, I was going to say, so my sister works with Alzheimer's patients uh, where she works and it's, she, she has some stories about some of the people that she's worked with. And when you think of Alzheimer's, you're thinking usually like seventies, eighties, you know, way end of life. Um, it does happen to people where in their thirties, they get diagnosed with early onset Alzheimer's. And, you know, it's really bad by the time they get into their 50s. So I can imagine that would be fucking terrible. Like while yeah. you're in your just past, just slightly past your prime and all of a sudden, like that's when it hits you. Honestly, this is what this disease is probably one for myself. I think that is my worst nightmare. Yes. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's one of those things where in a hundred years, we're going to look back and think it was crazy that people like leprosy. We're going to think it was crazy that people just suffered from this and there was nothing you could do about it. But yeah, I, hopefully they cure it. You know, there it's, it's one of those things that there, there's a lot of people working on a cure, but they really just don't even know. They don't even have really good treatments for it yet, let alone a cure. Right. So yeah. It's, stop using deodorant, I guess. That's yeah. the biggest thing. <laughs> I, well, that's what they speculate anyway. Um, yeah. So Jack basically would agree to assist her with suicide via his Thanatron, which is what he called this machine. Um, and that word is means Greek for instrument of death. This is basically okay. his very first suicide machine. You can see the picture there. Um, not extremely high tech, but seems effective. So Jack, he looks extremely proud of it. <laughs> he, he, he is. Um, yeah. Now, once they agreed to go through with this, Jack, he actually tried in the interview. He said he tried to find um, a rest home that would agree 
hospitals that would agree, a clinic that would let him use the room to to do this, but none of them would allow him to use his machine. So uh, because they couldn't find one, I guess they all agreed they were going to do it in the back of Jack Kevorkian's 1968 Volkswagen Vanagon. That's where they're going to agree to do the suicide here. Now, you're probably wondering how this Thanatron actually works. Basically, the patient would be hooked up via a IV, and they would be required to push a button to administer the drugs to themselves. It works very similar to lethal injection. The first drug they receive is a barbiturate called sodium thiopental, which puts the person to sleep. Then a lethal mixture of potassium chloride, which will stop stop the heart, and panachromium bromide, which prevents muscle spasms during the dying process. So okay. basically, um, these all work together and it kills you very fast, very fast and painlessly. Um, unlike the prison system, Jack actually... <laughs> seems to understand the proper order to deliver said drugs. Um, after Janet passed away, Jack, he immediately called the police and he was immediately arrested and detained, but only temporarily. A great number of Janet Adkins family actually spoke out publicly to thank Jack Kevorkian for helping to end her suffering. This is the one thing that I've seen about Jack of Orkin is the family members of the people that he assists with suicide are always in the public very grateful that they helped out their suffering loved one. So I don't know yeah. if that gives him more credence or not, but the the families are always like on board with this. Well, I mean, it does kind of give it credence because the people who are always on board with you know, what he's doing are the family members of these supposed victims who sought him out themselves and administered the lethal dose to themselves. The opponents are always third party, you know, people who have nothing to do with it, who just want to in, like spread their, you know, agenda, their agendas. Yeah. They just want to spread their bullshit and what they think God would want or, you know, themselves. And everyone knows that, you know, God is basically, God believes what you believe. It's kind of, you know, coincidental. But they're basically just trying to put their own shit out there and they have no regard for the people suffering. It's always kind of the weird thing about all this. Yeah, it's in uh, in his interviews. Um, I'll talk about it more later, but, you know, Jack, he is very fervent that the religious organizations are attached to laws um, in the United States, which is at least partially true. Well, yeah, like we were saying before the show, um, it's <laughs> it's weird that, well, the religious institute at the end of someone's life is probably when they're built the most money out of them. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, so he really does not like <laughs> organized religion. That's <laughs> his message that I heard um, a lot is. Yeah, they they're obviously very opposed to this because in a lot of religions, if you commit suicide, you are damned to hell for eternity. 
Yeah, you uh, it's weak like Catholicism. If you commit suicide, you I think you go. Is it purgatory? It's probably I don't know. It's, you just it's, go straight to fucking straight to hell. Not not to the not to heaven. Just every anywhere but there, basically. Yeah, you just <laughs> you're out of the game, slick. Sorry. Right. Well, uh, continuing on here now. Jack Kevorkian would eventually go on to create another suicide machine known as the Mercitron or Mercy Machine. Apparently, he made this machine because his medical license had gotten revoked after assisting two patients in death with the Thanatron. So basically, he wasn't allowed to get the drugs required for the machine to work. The the Mercitron basically consisted of a gas mask that the patient would wear with a tube attached to a tank of carbon monoxide. The patient would have a valve that they would turn on themselves to administer the gas. If the patient was too disabled to turn the knob, Jack would put a clothespin over the tube and the patient would simply have to remove the clothespin which is easier than turning the valve, and then it would get the same effect. Now, Jack did not like... Actually... Go ahead. I was going to say, I actually thought that you were going... I hadn't scrolled down yet. I actually thought that you were going to say the gas mask was hooked up to a hose, which was hooked up to the exhaust pipe of his 1968 (laughs) Volkswagen Vanagon. I was like, no way. (laughs) No, no, he's he's not that fucked up. Um, (laughs) it's, It's Jack... He, it's interesting, and he did not like this method because it took 10 minutes longer than his Thanatron, and the patients would kind of be choking and stuff, so he he recommended to them to take either sedative or muscle relaxant so they wouldn't kind of struggle when this was happening, even though they're not experiencing any sort of physical pain. It's just the sensation of breathing in gas will freak somebody out. Um, What's so we both listen to a lot of true crime. I don't know if you're coming up with this at all later on. Um, This kind of sounds like some some serial killers out there who want to kill. I'm not saying he's a serial killer, but they kind of have some of them have this thing where they want to kill people, but they don't want to see them suffer or convulse or die that sort of situation that is true those are like i think what you're thinking of is like a jeffrey dahmer type where he he didn't want to see him suffer because he was interested in the post-mortem body of the i think uh the pro is it the product one i think that's the product one that like enjoys the post-mortem Versus some that enjoy the sensation of killing somebody. Yeah. So so you're saying maybe this is him? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's kind of weird how, I mean, obviously you don't want to, you know, watch someone suffer and die for 10 minutes, you know, choking on carbon monoxide. But it it's kind of weird that he kind of it's such a like these names the mercitron the thanatron he kind of has like a pageantry towards it all yeah you know yeah i can't disagree with you on that yeah it um i it's interesting because even though he had the mercitron 
and he technically wasn't allowed to buy the drugs, it seems like he used the Thanatron a lot more, which is, I don't know. He's probably not going to say how he got the drugs, but um, it seemed like he preferred using that one. Yeah. The Well, the United States is also having a problem with the drugs that they use for lethal injection. They can't get their hands on one of the like main important drugs. So they are going to other sources to try to do the same thing. And it's not uh, fentanyl. Well. I'm pretty sure it's what they're using now, but um, they're using fentanyl now. Okay. I'm, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I know the story about that. The company who is making the drugs didn't realize <laughs> that the U S was buying them to kill people. So they quit selling. To ah, them. Yeah. Yeah. Moral. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's uh <laughs> But uh, anyway, continuing on here now. I bet. Oh, I was going to say, I bet Pfizer wouldn't have a problem with that at all. Hmm, probably <laughs> not. They totally do it. Um, now, the, I, I really was hoping to like get more kind of patient stories or, or things like that. But there's basically like two of them that I can find. And obviously the last one is the most notorious one but uh, that we'll talk about shortly here. But there's just... There's just, I don't know, there's no more, no more. We don't really know who he did it to. We don't really know what they were suffering from. I'm sure there's records somewhere, but uh, on the internet, at our level, we could not, I could not find them. So, um, yeah. go ahead. If if he is a doctor, then he's got to have, you know, patient privilege, all of that kind of stuff, too. So, True. he's got to, you know keep all of that and it was against the law so he's going to try to keep it as quiet as he can well the so. one of the interviews i saw the guy mentioned all the patients and what they're suffering from so i don't know how he got the list but mm. they were asking about it but that was also post his jail sentence so um mm. okay he can talk about this stuff freely now that he's out of jail so there's that basically from 1990 to 1997 uh, Jack, this was kind of his thing. He assisted people with suicides. He estimates he did 130, a little more than 130 people. He assisted that many of them with their deaths. Uh, Jack loved to say the slogan, dying is not a crime. Apparently, after he assisted uh, people with their deaths, he would take the bodies and just drop them off at local emergency rooms for them to kind of deal with it from there. Yeah, I look, Phil, I know <laughs> probably not the best way to go about it. Um, sometime by 1997, Jack Kevorkian had been charged four separate times for the murder of his patients. He had acquittals on three of them and the fourth one ended in a mistrial while the right to die movement was slowly gaining traction in the United States. A lot of people didn't think that Jack Kevorkian was going about it in the right way. And by 1999, Jack Kevorkian, he, he's going to kind of have to face the music here. But yeah. it's an interesting story about why he, fa he finally has to kind of face uh, or do time, I should say. So, But I'm going to detail all of that um, in the next section here. So, yeah, 130 people. Okay. Quite a bit. So, so there is a total number that we can we have. Yeah. Um. I mean, it's 
just to drop people off at the hospital. I mean, at least he's not, you know, dumping their bodies or something. That would be highly illegal. That's yeah. abuse to a corp. Yeah. Um, but to yeah, to um I suppose what would you do in that situation? Just basically call the cops and leave? Is I, he I mean, it sounds like that's what he did a lot of times, but mm. now I could be wrong that maybe he killed the patients and then their family members dropped them off at the emergency room. Okay. That's possible too. Yeah, that would be because that's, that would be like abuse to a corpse. I think if you move the body without calling the police, so yeah. that would be a crime in itself. I don't know. I, I don't know what the punishment is. Even there were those t- towns along the Mississippi when they were flooded, their cemeteries, um, the coffins in their cemeteries got up and they found bodies floating down the river. They still have to call the coroner for that and, you know, have the all of the investigation happen, even though it's, uh, you know, basically just the remains of a human. Yeah, I, I don't so, know. I you know what I've kind of gotten out of this? And I obviously I can't say for certain, but I think he would travel around to where people were. So maybe certain states allowed him to do it. Certain states did not allow him to do it. They definitely know he existed and what he was doing. Some states would prosecute him. Some wouldn't. That's kind of what I've gathered out of it. So there wasn't a specific location that people like came to him to have this administered. So it's not like the cops in the local area knew it. Like he would travel to a place, assist someone with suicide. It's not like the cops were already like knowing that this was going to happen or no, you know, a not, regular thing. No, because I think some of the people's disabilities, you know, wouldn't allow them to, you know, just drive to Michigan. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Or it'd be very inconvenient for the family to take them. And they might not even be allowed by the hospice to take them out. True. So. Yeah, exactly. That's a very good point. Well, let's kind of talk about the most notorious thing that I think everybody knows him from is on November 22nd, 1998, uh, 60 Minutes did an episode about Jack of Orkin. In the video, it shows Jack assisting 52-year-old Thomas Uke with suicide. Now, Thomas two years prior had gotten diagnosed with Lou Gehrig's disease and he was kind of in the final stages of it. It's mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. video. Have you seen this video? I do remember seeing this video back then. Yes, it's, it's really kind really sad watching this guy. He can barely move. Um, you know, he's going through everything. He's making him sign all the papers. He's asking him all the questions and all of that. Um, After he signs the paper, Jack is like, hey, how about I come back in a month and we'll see if you still want to do this. Thomas is like, no. How about two weeks? He's like, no. He's like, you have to give me at least a week. And then, you know, Thomas is like, "Okay, one week. And apparently the very next day, um, Thomas's brother called and said he just he cannot wait that long. He's you know, I am assuming if you're thinking about this, you probably don't want to stew about it for a week or whatever, you know what I mean? Or like suffer through the pain for another week, all of that. Now, Jack, in this case, specifically injected 
Thomas Uke himself, not with his suicide machine. Now, according to Jack, he did this simply because he felt what he was doing, he needed to get himself in court, get himself arrested, and try to um, kind of become a martyr, I guess, for the movement is kind of the best way I can put it. But he wanted, he purposely injected himself because that made it illegal, super illegal, and he wanted to go to jail and go to court to battle the courts and try to change some laws. That is what he said specifically. Now, what's interesting is he did this. Two months went by. Uh, cops, nothing. They they didn't question him. They didn't do anything. They didn't even look into what happened. So this is why he mailed this video specifically to 60 Minutes so he would get arrested. And that's why yeah. they aired it. A couple of things. Um, yeah. It kind of sounds like there's that trial that happened for our evolution. I believe it was like the Stokes monkey trial or something like that. Um, where the the teacher who was teaching evolution like purposefully did it so that there would be the trial. Yeah. Um, it kind of sounds like that situation. Also, I'm sure that by now the feds had to have been building a case. So it's not like, you know, he's going anywhere. They're basically crossing all of their T's and dotting all their J's. One of those situations. They don't want to not only let him go and fuck this up, they don't want him to, you know, change the laws because of their fuck ups. So I imagine they're locking this shit down. I don't think the feds were ever interested in him. Really? He was no. doing this interstate, right? I mean, as far as I can tell, yeah. Okay. That's yeah. It, I would imagine the feds would be all over this. It seemed like the fucking DA was more interested in him than anything. It that's from watching the videos, that's what I've gathered. They seem to be the only ones who cared. Okay. Well, I will, I will say, well, the, so during the Clinton administration, the federal government did take quite a hit from a few of, uh, you know, the, Waco. some of the overreaches that had been happening, like Waco, uh, Ruby Ridge. Um, there was quite a bit of pushback. And during the Clinton administration, the national government did get a lot of their funding cut, especially the military. Mm. So maybe they were, you know, castrated a little bit in or a little bit impotent, less, less proactive than they were during uh, George W's administration, yeah. Yeah. which they fucking, you know, not after 9-11, it was high gear. Everybody was supercharged, fucking Super Saiyan 5 after that shit. So. Well, uh, Jack got his wish after the 60, 60 Minutes thing aired. Um, you can watch this on YouTube, so you can watch this man die after he gets injected. It it sounds more, I mean, it's grisly, but the video, he dies so peacefully that you can barely even tell he's dead, you know what I mean? Um, because of yeah. the injections. Basically, what he said he gave him, the one to put him to sleep, which did in like three seconds, and then one that stops his blood from flowing and then the next one that stops his heart. So it was like, bam, bam, bam. And then he was dead. Yeah. And, uh, on the episode, every single family matter, ma- member, including, uh, Tom's wife was just, they were so happy to relieve him of his suffering. Again, Lou Gehrig's is just a terrible disease. Oh, definitely. Yeah. One of the, <laughs> just completely. And it's, 
it it can take a while, but it's like some cases are just so quick. They just immediately after getting diagnosed just go downhill. Yeah, uh, it's, it's one of those like just like Alzheimer's or MS. You just can't even imagine how it would just destroy your life. Yeah, it's 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 really sad. I think that's the saddest part of the video is just watching this poor guy even struggling to talk. Um, yeah, apparently. So according to Jack and I think the Tom's brother, the Thomas was. He's getting to the point where it's like even having trouble breathing and he was like yeah. he was really, really afraid of choking to death because his muscles there weren't working. So um that's kind of why Tom wanted it done so quickly. So I guess okay. there's a little bit of sympathy there, but uh anyway, Jack got his wish, as I said, November twenty fifth, nineteen ninety eight. He would be arrested and charged with second degree murder for delivery of a controlled substance. Um, also, he was in trouble because he was in possession of said control, controlled substances, even though he had his license revoked. Now, um, I think Jack said on the interview his plan was he was going to get on trial. And if they put him in jail, he was going to starve himself to death. So then the judge would be the one who assisted him in suicide, which obviously that didn't go as planned for him but i guess that was his grand grandiose idea okay yeah judge don't give a shit no <laughs> once you're, absolutely once you're not. out of their court all right next yeah they <laughs> don't on give, the docket next they don't give a flying fuck yeah but um trial took place uh as it progressed it uh seems they were trying to get jack vorkin charged with first degree murder they wanted like the max thing but after the trial was over and the jury deliberated, on March 26th, 1999, Jack Kevorkian was found guilty of second-degree homicide, which comes with a sentence of 10 to 25 years in prison. Jack would be taken to Coldwater, Michigan to serve his sentence and all his subs subsequent appeals after his conviction were completely just dismissed, as they usually are. Yeah. It not a surprise. Uh, I mean, less than what is it? Less than five months. He went from being arrested to found guilty. That's pretty quick. Yeah, I mean, he he laid out all the evidence to convict him. Convict That's himself, true. I guess. But normally, it takes a little longer for the wheels to go into motion to get a trial to start. Normally, it's like seems like every time. Maybe it's because. The prosecuting attorneys have to go find the evidence or investigate, you know, put it all together. But he put it together for them. So maybe they were confident right away yeah. and just threw him in trial. And it sounds like he wanted the trial. So I'm guessing he basically just said, yeah, let's have it quick. Let I want it while the popularity, while the, you know, everyone's talking about this. Think about it, though. Even think about how him doing this, we know who he is because of this. Yeah. So technically, I think his plan did kind of work because everybody got talking about Jack Kevorkian. Yeah. And the idea of assisted suicide and euthanasia kind of hit the mainstream. People are actually discussing on television whether it was morally right or wrong or whatnot. You know, like everyone had an opinion, not only on Jack Kevorkian, but also on like what he was doing. Yeah. I, I think in a weird way, he got what he wanted. Yeah, it's 
he wanted it quicker, but it's <laughs> it's taken like a few decades to or a couple decades now to kind of have his like what he what he wanted to happen is happening much slower and in like much larger steps kind you of know, situation. You know what was one of my favorite quotes from watching this whole thing? So I'm watching the video, the 60 minutes thing with him. They have Thomas Uke's wife on there um, after he's passed away and everything. And she literally says, it's the year 1990, whatever, eight or nine. And she's like, you'd think by now humanity would have already gotten over this hump and allow people to die with dignity and all this this stuff, right? And I'm sitting here in 2023 being like, we're how many years past you now? And we're still pretty close to exactly where we were in 1998, at least in the United States. No, no, we hit that hump and then we fucking flopped backwards. Yeah. We, we didn't, not only did we not make it over the hump, but we're basically at the point where our wheels are spinning, trying yeah. to get fucking back to where we were. <sighs> yeah. It's just, I, I sometimes when I hear people say things like that from, you know, 20, what, 20, almost five years ago now. And it's just like, yep. Nothing's changed, you know. It's it's kind of crazy. But continuing on here, um, on on September 29th, two thousand five, MSNBC would do an interview with Jack Kevorkian from prison. Uh, Jack had a parole hearing coming up, and on the interview, he said if he was to be released, he would no longer assist with suicide, but would instead become a spokesman for having euthanasia laws change, which is what he wanted. Um, that parole hearing the same year, he was denied. Sometime also in 2005, Jack Kevorkian was diagnosed with hepatitis C, which was killing mm. him. He was expected to die within a year after his diagnosis, which would have been sometime in 2006. They're pretty sure Jack had contracted hepatitis C from all his blood infusion experiments. So yeah, they clearly <laughs> maybe from prison. Prisons are pretty, <laughs> pretty fucking dirty place. Yeah. But I he was, know. he it's... was injecting himself with dead people's blood. I mean, that is true. Yeah. And with the year he was injecting himself with those people's blood, I'm pretty sure they didn't know hepatitis C existed yet. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Don't quote me on that. Now, Jack would plead for a pardon on the grounds that he was dying. Eventually, the parole board and Governor Jennifer Granholm would parole him for good behavior on June 1st, 2007, after he spent eight years and two months in prison. So he probably asked for release in 2005, and he was supposed to die within a year, and they decided to wait almost two years to uh, yep. let him out when he was dying. Let's just let's just see how this plays out. And then after two years, they're like, fine, fuck. All right, get out. <laughs> so basically, he nearly he spent eight years, two months. So the minimum was 10 that yeah. he would spend there. The max was 25. He spent eight years, two months. So they basically squeezed as much juice as they could before it looked like they were petty. Yeah. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Um, he actually goes on to live for quite a bit longer, which I was shocked about, especially if they thought he was going to die within a year. Um, yeah. After his release, 
Uh, Jack Kevorkian would give lectures about the, about euthanasia at uh, several different universities. In 2008, he attempted to run for United States Congress in Michigan as an independent. He would receive just over 9,000 votes, which was like 2% or something. Um, over the next several years, he suffered from kidney problems and would eventually be diagnosed with liver cancers, presumably from complications with his hepatitis C. Jack Kevorkian would be hospitalized on May 18th, 2011. His condition would would grow rapidly worse. He died on June 3rd, 2011, just eight days from his 83rd birthday. His lawyer said that there were no medical attempts to keep him alive and his death was, quote-unquote, painless. Um, And that was kind of the... The life of uh, Jack Kevorkian there um, died. He, he lived a long time. And as I said, he had no wife or no children. And he said he deeply regretted that later in life. I don't know if he just channeled his whole existence into like this work or whatever. Or if something happened. I don't know. But he just never got married, well, never had kids. It, yeah, maybe he just, you know... Also, it's kind of hard when you're, you know, taking a girl out for dinner. Or she's impressed by the fact that you're a doctor. And then you kind of tell her, like, what you're studying as a doctor. That's got to be a little weird. Do you know how many you're... macabre people are out there in the world? He could have found one. Yeah, but it's a lot easier nowadays with, like, we have the internet and everything. Like, people can find each other, find their communities that way. Back Very when true. he was, you know, looking, I'm doubting, you know, there wasn't just, like, clubs that you could join. <laughs> You know, the big for titty, that shit. The big titty goth girls just weren't around for him. No, there was no Instagram or TikTok for <laughs> big titty goth girls with their crystals and their, <laughs> and their dyed hair. Uh, I just want to finish off one more thing here before we have a little discussion. Um, basically, as we said, euthanasia or assisted suicide is illegal in all states um, in California, Colorado, Washington, D.C., Hawaii, Maine, New Jersey, New Mexico, Oregon, Vermont, and Washington State. They have adopted the Die with Dignity laws, which allows terminally ill patients to be prescribed a cocktail of medications that they can can take and then die uh, peacefully and in a dignified manner within their own homes. Now, Jack Kevorkian does not like this law. Because he claims, at least in the interview, he claims that if someone is immobilized, um, they cannot have these pills because they cannot give them to themselves and nobody else is allowed to give them to the patient. He still thinks that a licensed doctor should be allowed to do this for people if they desire. Okay. Yeah. So basically, you need to be in good enough condition still to kill yourself. With these pills. Yeah, I you can't. Yeah. If I'm guessing if you knew somebody who the doctor prescribed in these medications, if you were to give them to them or put them in your their mouth, you would probably get could potentially get charged with murder or something. Yeah, I could see that. Um, it is. I mean, it's kind of semantics, though. Like euthanasia is still illegal in most states but some states have kind of come up with this little roundabout um, way little thing where little thing where basically all it is is 
pharmacist giving you a bottle of pills and saying, okay, there you go. That's for you, but you know, that's for you, bud. And then you have to do it yourself completely. Does it have to take place in a hospital or do these people do this at home? My understanding is, let's say you get permission from a doctor to have this prescription. You get the medication. You, the day you're about to do it, you call a number um, and then you take them that night and then somebody will come to your house to collect your body. Oh, that cleanup service comes in. That's day. that's okay. As far as I know, and I've heard, that's what happens. Okay, kind of an asshole thing to do to your family to uh, drop the fucking the value of your home that they're gonna have to sell, <laughs> <laughs> knowing that someone just died there like three weeks ago. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. Don't ask what Ac- happened. According to Jack, um, a doctor can even be in the same room with you when you do this. Okay, so in order for everything to be legal, you just have to do it all by yourself. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, there is one final thing about Jack here I forgot to mention. Um, So, in the interview, I guess five of his patients that he euthanized were quadriplegic, but they weren't dying. But they obviously... Um, were extremely limited and just wanted to die. Um, what yeah. do you think about it in that circumstance? Ooh, that's a tough one because, like, so someone who is at the end of life in, in a extreme amount of pain, they might only have like a month or two to live, but the, that last month or two is going to be an extreme amount of pain and just an unbearable living situation. That quadriplegic, they might live another you know, 15, 20 years and have to go two decades with that, you know, not being able to move or, you know, maybe still having like phantom pains, that kind of thing. Um, Basically living a nightmare. So it's one of those situations where a person like that definitely needs therapy to kind of, you know, come to terms with it. But also if that doesn't work, and they still want to do it, maybe it should be their choice. That's, yeah, I, this whole thing is like your choice, you know, um, Jack. But if you give that, if the thing is too, if you give them the choice, then if someone who's perfectly healthy, who just doesn't want to have to go on anymore, you know, they're just tired of the Minnesota Vikings having a losing season (laughs) and they just don't want to deal with it anymore. You know, like what happens then that person, you know, maybe has equal rights they're in an, in an unbearable situation. So, I mean, um, Jack, according to Jack, he they asked, like, how many patients did you turn down? And he said a lot because he when someone requested it, he would get all their medical records. And if there was any more treatment they could possibly do, he would have them do that first before he would think about euthanizing them, according to him. So. Yeah. In according to his terms, you had to be you had you had to have zero options left before that was a possibility. Now, I don't know if that's how Canada is. I don't really know how Canada's laws are there. But um, I guess we've been going for a while here. But I want to know, has your opinions on Jack of Orkin changed? Do you think he's worse? Do you think the same? Do you think he he's better? What do you think about Jack of Orkin? I think he really believes that he's doing good 
Um, I do think that he might have a little bit of, uh, you know, the serial killer mix yeah. like in him, you know, in the <laughs> stew. It's definitely in there. Um, so my opinion of so the weird thing is we were kids when all of this was hap- was going down. Um, it was what, 1998, 1999. We were like 13, 14. So kind of what the news was putting out and what was kind of like everyone was talking about, they were making it seem like he would assist you in suicide no matter what. Like they always made it seem like he was just like, if you just didn't want to live anymore, he would help you kill yourself. That was always kind of like the feeling about Jack Vorkian. But really hearing now how many people like that, he turned down a lot of people kind of changed my mind a little bit. I always did, you know, like hearing more about it later on, you kind of figure out that, no, he's only helping the extremely terminally ill in pain. Those people, it wasn't, you know, just, any random person who wanted to be killed. Um, But yeah, I mean, not really because I've heard a bit about the story. It is interesting to kind of hear about him personally. That's something that was missing during the nineties. You never really heard about him personally, other than he helped people kill themselves and he was kind of weird. Yeah. It's uh, like you said, the, when you're young, the media (laughs) or the news stories much preferred to talk about the big bad boogeyman that was Jack Kevorkian where if I was to fall over on my skateboard and scrape my knee, he'll kill me if I ask for it. Like it's obviously that's not how it is. Um, But yeah, the, the thing I forgot, I wanted to mention. So when they're in the interview, they have like the head of fuck the American medical association or something. Right. Um, Talking about, he doesn't agree with, what Jack's doing, right? And he started talking about, he's like, oh, we have a lot of methods so people can die peacefully. And it got me thinking, it's like, do you think, to me, opioids are like the one of the biggest problems, right, in the medical world. And guess what? When you're dying, they juice you up on. Like, I could see- Oh, they give you you the top shelf fucking- Yeah. And dream drug. Yeah. And it's all billable by them. And (laughs) very clearly they love having as much, many people as possible get their hands on opiates. So when I'm hearing him talk, I'm like, you, I think you like the billable hours with long-term medical care or uh, hospice care. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. To me, that's what I was reading from it. Yeah. That's kind of how I was thinking about what well, we were talking about religion and them like bilking people at the end of their life, you know, people with their prayers trying to, you know, maybe heal themselves. But the medical community is 10 times worse because at the end of your life, that's when you're going to spend the most amount of money in your entire life on your medical bills and all of that shit. Especially like if you get to a point where if you die suddenly, you know, there's only a few little charges you have. But if you're, you know, six to eight months, maybe a year where you're just on the decline and it finally happens, your family's in a huge amount of debt. Yeah, I know. It's... The moment the moment you get sick, your fucking health insurance drops you. So I know I I think the um, I'm not saying all countries are great at it, but I think the United States does not care about old people as much as they should personally that's how i feel 
Um, we kind of just want them to just go away, you know? Um, so we jam yeah. them in like shitty rest homes that are more or less like a fucking shitty high school. It's just, I don't know. It, it feels bad. People should get treated better. Uh, <laughs> it is like a high school. It's full of sex and drugs. Yeah. <laughs> you and should it, hear the stories for people who work those places. But also, I'm sure, you know, your sister would tell you there's a lot of fucking just like rumors. There's like weird classisms. The <laughs> I don't know. It's my grand. Oh, yeah. My grandma was in one for five years. So I heard all the fucking drama and this weird showing off thing and just kind of the neglect and stuff and just the shit food they're eating. And I don't know. Well, my sister, my sister works at a pretty, a good one. She works at like a private facility. So, okay. I, okay. That's much better then. But, um, but yeah, but yeah, I don't know. Obviously you're probably the, the Canada thing. Um, the, the you has gotten delayed, I think, till the summer of 2023. So mm-hmm. you'll start seeing the propaganda pop up around then, probably sometime. But uh, oh, definitely, yeah. If you see something, either a TikTok video, Instagram video, Facebook video, saying that Canada's trying to make it legal to kill 18 year olds, that <laughs> that's not the case at all. And just remember this fucking propaganda. But um, if Anybody wants to give us their opinion on Jack Kevorkian or how they feel about euthanasia, where can they contact us, Phil? Well, they can hit us up on our email, subliminaldpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we love to hear from everybody. Uh, you know, had a had a really good week with uh, views and everything, so thank you for that. Uh, also, if you want to get a hold of us, Subliminal Deception Podcast on Instagram, probably even the best way to get a hang to get a hold of us um you know just pop up a message you know what we're doing good doing bad show ideas we love it all the love and the hate uh cody and i also have our own instagram accounts minus sd pod phil cody you have one yeah you can follow me at cody's the bum the last thing we ask you guys to do is to log on to itunes leave a show five star review doesn't matter what you say just type hijack of and hit five stars if submit that's all you gotta do we greatly appreciate everyone who's taking time to do that if you're a Spotify listener, it's even easier. Hit five stars, hit submit. You don't, you can't physically type anything. It's a superior method. Thank you to everybody who's taking time to do that for us as well. Well, guys, I hope, you know, I think Jack uh, Kevorkian is on a lot of people our age's mind. And I hope maybe you maybe learned a little bit more about him, learned about his life and can, you know, develop your own opinion. We'll see you guys next week. Thanks, guys.